Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. up and welcome into the athletic fantasy football podcast presented by visa a network working for everyone we are here on tuesday october 5th michael beller here with you to take you through our weekly beat writer episode as we look back at what happened in week four with uh, some of our beat writers and ahead to what could be going down with these teams in week five and in some cases even beyond week five as well we're going to start off this one with kevin fishbane who covers the chicago bears for us here at the athletic kevin what's going on man what's going on mike i am feeling good i am uh, excited to talk about this bears team because we have uh, a handful of you know pretty meaty fantasy things to dig into with this bears team of course it starts at the quarterback position we've had justin fields get a couple of starts here in place of an injured andy dalton and my question for you to start this off is how many times are we going to have to say in place of an injured andy dalton rather than him just being the starter. How seriously can we take Matt Nagy's protestations that Andy Dalton is the starter when healthy? Yeah, well, Beller, you you you're from Chicago. You're you're familiar with the Rex Grossman's our quarterback. Yeah, oh yeah. You go back to the Lovey Smith days, and it kind of feels like that with the Andy Dalton stuff. My best guess at this point is Dalton. I just don't think he's going to be ready to go for this week. So Fields gets another opportunity, and and, and it's up to Fields then at that point. You know, for the at least based on what we know about this coaching staff, because they they still like the idea of Dalton starting and Fields taking his time. So I could see Fields starting against the Raiders, and I could see him playing well against that defense. And then maybe that'll be it. Maybe then we can kind of move on and say, all right, is this Fields' job? Um, he earned it. We're feeling good about it. We're just going to go. If Fields doesn't play well, that does give Matt Nagy the out. You know, to return to Andy Dalton. And say, look, this just proves that, that he needs more time. We really like Andy Dalton, and we're just gonna, you know, take advantage of having him around. 
So yeah, th- th- this Raiders game, if 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 my theory is accurate, this Raiders game could be pretty important in terms of the quarterback spot. It is certainly logical to think, well, who cares if Fields doesn't play well? Hmm. He's a rookie. Just let him go. Let him get his reps. Obviously, the performance that Fields had in Week 4 against the Lions looked a little bit different than what he had the week before in his first career start. Was there anything to your eye, I'm watching this team as closely as you do, that you know signaled them putting Fields in a better position in Week 4 than they did in Week 3? Yeah, it was probably the tight end usage most of all. You know, They went from over 70% 11 personnel with three wide uh, to only 41 in week four. Uh, now, fantasy football owners will be annoyed that the tight ends weren't actually getting the, the receptions or targets off that, but that was allowing them to chip um, and help the offensive line, gave Fields more time, go back and look through some of those explosive throws, and you could see how much time he had in the pocket to make those throws. And, and look, when, when the Bears drafted Justin Fields, that was one of the things that really opened their eyes about him is his accuracy as a deep ball thrower. Uh, and you go through the history of Bears quarterback speller, there there aren't many that could uh, that could accurately throw a deep ball the way that Field did. Uh, in fact, his yards per attempt on Sunday was up there as one of the best ever. Um, and it's only in only a second start uh, for a Bear. So uh, the, the the way that they protected him, the way they got him under center, moved the pocket a little bit, and then the run game really helped because that that allowed you know for a little bit of the of the play action game you know, obviously those things aren't always connected but it did seem to uh, help create some time for him in the play action game the run game is going to be changing a little bit here over the next month or so we're getting word that David Montgomery going to be out for four to five weeks with the knee injury he suffered against the Lions is this as simple as Damian Williams stepping into the David Montgomery role we know he's dealing with a little bit of a minor injury issue of his own but is it is is it that simple can we just say Damian Williams takes over everything David Montgomery leaves behind, or do you expect there to be a little bit more mixing and matching than we've seen from this team thus far with Montgomery healthy? Yeah, I would expect a little bit more from Khalil Herbert, the rookie out of Virginia Tech. You know, Damian Williams' career high in carries is 19. So, you know, and and David Montgomery was a guy who could give you 20-plus carries a game. So I don't expect... Well, you know, if, if there's a game like they had Sunday where they're going to want to run the ball 30, 40 times, I just don't think they're going to give the ball to David Williams that, that many times because he just has that really hasn't been him in his career. He's going to be the number one back. He's going to get the most touches and most snaps. But I, I would expect to see some more Khalil Herbert. Um, you know, I, I'm not I'm not sure if I'm ready for him to be a, a fantasy guy per se, but don't be surprised if he ends up with seven to ten touches. Um, you know, in, in against the Raiders because you know I could see Williams being maybe a twelve to fifteen carry, you know, three to five reception guy, um, and then continue to mix it up just because he just hasn't really been a workhorse back. And look, they don't need him to be because they have Herbert because they have other options. You know, they can maybe get Fields running the ball a little bit more too. We, we didn't see a ton of that against Detroit, so they do have their options there. But you know, the simple answer answer Beller is yeah, Damian Williams is going to be number one back. He's mm-hmm. going to get the most touches. Uh, out of that backfield, but I don't think he's going to be uh, hitting the potential volume that Dave Montgomery could week in and week out. Yeah, reasonable expectations to have for him. Uh, definitely coming south of what we expect from David Montgomery from a pure volume standpoint. But uh, 12 to 15 carries, somewhere in the three target range per game. That's definitely music to a fantasy manager's ears. So Damian Williams is going to be certainly one of the more popular waiver targets over these next, what, 24 hours or so as people are making their claims. We talked a little bit about um, about Justin Fields being able to throw the deep ball, and we did see him hit some big plays down the field. One really big one to Darnell Mooney. 
we saw another ball that he fit in really nicely to Allen Robinson. Let's start with Mooney. Uh, obviously, he had the bigger statistical game, Fishbane. Should his managers be excited about this pairing, assuming Fields can hold on to the starting gig? Oh, for sure. I mean, this is – and we talked about this in the summer, right, that Darnell Mooney was, you know – the breakout candidate for this for this group, and and, and he certainly showed it uh, on Sunday. Now, I, I think that we're going to see more from Al Robinson moving mm-hmm. forward, and that could cut into a little bit of Darnell Mooney's production. Uh, but his, you know his his separation was good. Um, you know he, he's obviously got the the ability to stretch the defense, uh, and, and he's got that good rapport, as you mentioned with Justin Fields. So I, I think that he's going to continue being a guy. I don't know if he's going to always be the guy every week like he was. Uh, against the Lions, but he's going to be a big part of this offense, and clearly the rookie trusts him a lot. And Mooney's shown good hands. He had some drops here and there in training camp, but I've been impressed so far. You know, he had that great uh, kind of sky high catch on a ball that that field that fields went went a little high on Mooney, so he's been able to do that. So yeah, it's it's you know I think he's somebody you can kind of feel comfortable with, but it's only if the Bears' passing game is doing well, right? <laughs> Like, you know, we, we can't really ever expect, you'd think, what we saw against Cleveland again, but that doesn't mean that, that, there's going, that they're going to suddenly put be putting up 300 yards passing every game. So as long as the passing game is doing what it should be doing, Mooney's going to be a big part of that. I mean, if the pass game is doing what it should be doing, then we would expect to see a whole lot more than 13 catches for 149 yards and a touchdown across a four-game sample for Allen Robinson. I mean, that could be, you know, one great game out of Allen Robinson. We could see him go 13-149 and one. How do we best explain the um, statistical struggles, I will say, uh, for him? Because I don't know if they're actually his personal struggles, but the statistical struggles he's had this season. And how significantly do you expect this to turn around in the coming weeks? Yeah, I mean, I certainly expect it to him to bounce back, you know, and again, I don't think it's necessarily on him. You know, obviously nobody played well against Cleveland and, and, and the passing game was really off against Cincinnati. He did drop that touchdown pass in, in the Bengals game. So things look a lot different if, if he holds on to that. So, you know, I, I wonder. So one of the things about Allen Robinson is he, he's, he doesn't necessarily get as open separation wise as somebody maybe like Darnell Mooney. That hasn't really been a problem for him though in his career because he can catch the he catch contested passes. It's fine if he's covered. He's going to go get the football. Um, he's a great route runner. Uh, so I wonder if maybe Fields needs to get a little bit more comfortable with that and trusting Robinson that he can make some of those throws. And he's good. And, and like you saw it on the on the throw to the sideline. I think it was a twenty five yard pass, and Al Robinson you know had to do a nice toe tap. And maybe that was the example of hey, trust number twelve. Uh, you, you know, he might not look as open as Darnell Mooney, for example, but he's going to go catch the football. So those two just might need to continue getting some more reps with each other. Remember, Justin Fields didn't really take many reps with the ones all training camp. So this is still new for him. But, you know, you got to imagine that that, that A-Rob's uh, production is going to go up. But listen, if Darnell Mooney keeps producing at a high level, I'm not sure if Al Robinson is going to put up, you know, the type of numbers that certainly he would want to put up in a contract year. And definitely would like to see those uh, target numbers come up. 11 in week one, that's what you'd like to see. Four, six, and three in weeks two, three, and four. That's definitely not what you were expecting when you were uh, selecting Allen Robinson as one of the top 10, at worst, 12 receivers way back in August. One more question here for you, Fishbane. Week five, you said it, this team going up against the Raiders. What are your early expectations for that matchup? Well, I think it... it gives the Bears a good opportunity to build on, on what they did against Detroit. I mean, the Raiders obviously had some issues against the Chargers. They have, it seems like every cornerback for them is hurt. 
Uh, you know, they, 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 the edge rushers for them stood out uh, in their opener. So it's going to be a little, maybe some stress for the Bears offensive tackles who, again, played well against Detroit. Uh, it's just going to be, you know, this is, team has not been good on the road so far this season. You know, again, they played some good teams, but I think the Raiders are up there as a good offense. And I think the Bears are going to have to score a lot of points. I really do. I, I think Derek Carr uh, could have a big day against this Bears defense that just, you know, has has been good but not great um, so far this season. Um, and and he might be, you know, up there with Stafford as the best quarterback they've faced so far this season. So I, I think this is a this is a game that they're going to have to probably put up three, four touchdowns to to keep pace. So um, I, I expect some opportunities, but you know, you'd love to see them better get the tight ends going. Like just get the ball to Cole Komet, get the ball to Jimmy Graham. And, and I think the Raiders are going to allow some opportunities for the passing game, whether it's because their secondary is is really banged up or just the fact that it's going to be a high-scoring game. Yeah, we've seen that uh, you know pretty much week in and week out from this Raiders team. You can uh, you can get at them. So long as you're not uh, Ben Roethlisberger and the Pittsburgh Steelers, you can get at them a little bit through the air. Saw Justin Herbert do that on Monday night. So maybe a good spot for Justin Fields to cement himself as the Bears starter. That's Kevin Fishbane, Chicago Bears beat writer here at The Athletic. Fishbane. Thanks again for being with us on the Fantasy Football Pod. Thank you. It's nice for the Bears to be somewhat fantasy relevant. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Moving right along here on this edition of the Athletic Fantasy Football Podcast, we bring on Dan Duggan. Dan covers the New York Giants for us here at the Athletic. Dan, how you doing today? Doing great. How about yourself? I am doing well. I am uh, doing maybe about as good as the Giants are after that impressive uh, come-from-behind victory against the Saints in Week 4. And I would hope, or I would like to say, that I am doing as well as it appears Saquon Barkley is doing. We've seen him uh, sort of build on that workload week after week after week. And most importantly, in Week 4, we saw him look mostly like the Saquon Barkley we are used to seeing before the injury from last season. Can we safely say that he is back to be in that Saquon after that game? Uh, that's a question I've been kind of tossed around my head the last probably 48 hours or so. <laughs> I mean, I think he's back in the sense that physically, uh, you know, he's been cleared for a while now. The surgery's almost, you know, a year in the rear view. And uh, you see the cuts that he made before he got mm-hmm. injured, and they look just as explosive um so i think that part of him physically i think he is back i think probably the final hurdle and you hear this a lot from guys who tear their acl is that it's mental and that's where i think maybe the end of sunday's game can maybe spring him over that last hurdle because he finally made the big play because we know you know saquon barkley is built on making big plays he is not a, a zeke elliott you know grind you out four and six yards at a time so i think um for his confidence to finally you know get in the open field make that big you know catch and run touchdown uh, and then it seemed like, you know, that, that sort of 
uh, kind of lit a little fire there in overtime. He ran a little harder. He had the big play on a screen. He, you know, he kind of barreled into the end zone for the game-winning touchdown. Uh, you know, maybe that's what kind of pushes him over that final hump. Because, yeah, I, I do think physically he is back. Uh, it just really hasn't totally clicked, which is to be, under, you know, to be expected, let alone the injury. It's just a lot of rust. He hasn't played a lot of football in a long time. So mm-hmm. um, all that seems to be coming together. You know, I think if you were to tell him in week five you'd be 100%, I think he would take that. So we'll see if uh, that is indeed the case. Yeah, fantasy managers love the production, of course, but you also love the workload that we've seen from him the last couple of weeks. 23 opportunities, meaning carries plus targets in week three, and then uh, 19 in week four with that uh, that 54-yard touchdown reception really being the thing, or catch and run, like Zoo said, maybe a little bit more accurate way to put it, putting him over the top there. And uh, he was not the only guy who looked good. We've got actually a number of guys to run through from the Giants who looked very good in the week four performance. How about uh, Daniel Jones? Another strong game for him it was his best game of the season he had another strong uh, fantasy game back in week two against Washington but I would say from just a fantasy and reality standpoint this game against the the Saints was maybe his best performance of the season has there been anything different to your eye in watching Daniel Jones that uh, is elevating his play at all this season well I mean I think the big thing and it's you know really been sort of uh you know bullet point one since Jason Garrett and Joe Judge came in they wanted to cut back on the turnovers and even last year um, you know, as unproductive as the offense and Jones, you know, they were, he did do that. So now obviously the kind of the next step in that evolution is, okay, let's cut back on the turnovers, but also make plays. Cause you know, you can't go through, you know, a season having 11 touchdown passes and expect to uh, win many games. So, uh, you know, that Washington game you mentioned, that was a little bit more of a dual threat game where he really, you know, had the big plays with his legs. Um, you know, had a pretty good game throwing the ball. Uh, but I think, yeah, certainly you saw him really cut it loose. Uh, and the thing I'm really curious to see now is the last seven minutes of regulation in overtime, does that kind of open this coaching staff's eyes that we can kind of take the training wheels off of this kid? He's in his third year. Um, you know, he's really proven to be a better decision maker. He has, you know, shown some talent, you know, throwing the ball down the field. Let's make that more of the offense rather than, you know, with game script that's, you know, you're down 11 with seven minutes to go. You kind of have to play like that. Let's see if they come out, especially against the explosive Dallas offense. This is not a field position, ball control type game, I wouldn't think, going into this matchup. So, uh, I'm really curious to see if they just say, listen, you know, we've kind of broke them down and, and built them back up, and now it's time to really unleash them because I, I think that's that's their path to being a winning team. You, you know, you, you mentioned all the weapons they have. Um, the defense isn't playing that great. So I think they kind of need Daniel Jones to play like he did on Sunday, maybe not 400 yards every week. Um, but I think this is a you know got to be a downfield passing attack with all the weapons they have and, and with what he's shown. So we'll see if that's actually uh, sort of the mindset they adopt here going forward. All right, let's take a look at a couple of those weapons, and I want to start with Kadarius Toney. Injuries obviously played a role in how large a role he had in the game in Week 4, but it's hard to ignore what he did, both how he did it and just the actual bottom line production. Six catches on nine targets for 78 yards. We know there are going to be healthy guys getting back onto the field for the Giants. When that happens, can Toney still have something approximating the role that we saw from him in Week 4? Yeah, I'm, not, I'm skeptical on that. I think if you're, you know, looking to pick him up in fantasy, you, you know, maybe next week is probably your last chance to have him in a, in a huge role, assuming Sterling Shepard's out again. And, and if Shepard's back, I think that wide receiver room just gets really crowded. And you know, Galladay's probably the one guy that you can count on just because, you know, he's the kind of alpha dog number one. I think Tony in real football uh, is going to have a bigger role going forward. But I definitely think there'll be games where he's just not a big factor. I don't, I don't know that um, he's going to get nine targets week in and week out. And again, it's sort of almost like the the game scenario forced them to throw the ball downfield. 
you know, Shepard and Darius Slayton's injury forced them to feature Kadarius Tony because they were kind of just really easing him in and um, really didn't seem to know how to get him the ball. They're trying all these little gadget things. And they just have to play him like a wide receiver last week because they were down guys. And he made, you know, he had a couple kind of gadget plays, but he also had just some some good tough catches, you know, over the middle and, and down the field. So um, I think he's a guy who will have some big games. I think his talent is evident, you know, stop and start ability and, and the ability to make guys miss is really off the charts. Uh, but I'm I'm skeptical that with all the mouths I have to feed, that he's suddenly going to become, you know, a, a day in, a game in and game out, you know, featured part of the offense. Yeah, you mentioned Kenny Galladay. He's obviously the big guy here, no matter who is healthy in this receiver group. And we saw him have his best game with the Giants to date in week four. Six catches on seven targets for 116 yards. It's been sort of slow going the first couple of games of the season. 64 yards in week one, 64 yards in week three. This is obviously what they signed him to be. Any way that they build on this performance that we saw in week four. Yeah, I think that has to be the expectation because also you know you got to keep in mind he missed most of camp with a hamstring and then even really was a game time decision in week three with a hip so has kind of been banged up and and he's even actually pretty honest he said before the season that he expected it would take a little time for things to gel just because you know so many guys were in and out of the lineup during camp and, and you know some new faces like him and Tony really didn't get a lot of time to to build that chemistry with Jones and uh, you know get comfortable in the offense but. Uh, he's the guy I think I would feel most comfortable with because, you know, not just volume. I mean, he gets more downfield targets than, like, say, a guy like Sterling Shepard, who I think when he comes back, I think will, you know, remain a, a big part of the offense. But, uh, and even with Galladay, when I talk about downfield, he still hasn't had those, you know, really big plays that you've kind of come to expect from him. So, you know, why he made his money was his ability to make those contested catches, you know, sort of deep down mm-hmm. the field. But he's really been effective in those intermediate routes. And you saw that a lot uh, against the Saints. And, uh, he's better after the catch than I really realized. He made, um, you know, a couple of big plays uh, where he broke a tackle to get him down to field position for the game tying field goal. Um, so I think that's encouraging, and, and I think that's probably a sign that he's getting healthier because uh, you know, after he makes the catch, he, he's looking to make plays uh, down the field. So yeah, I, I think he's the one guy I would feel the most comfortable with because I think you know he's going to be on the field a lot. He's going to be targeted a lot, and probably deeper targets uh, than some of the other guys. Whereas like Shepard and Tony. A lot of their stuff might be around the line of scrimmage, so maybe uh, you know there'll be games where they have six catches for like 42 yards. Where I think if Galladay's getting targets, you know he'll be you know close to 100 yards or you know in that neighborhood. And perhaps an opening up of the offense can marry up with the skills that Galladay has, as you said, a contested catch guy, not a guy who needs a ton of separation to make those big plays down the field. So maybe opening things up. Jones and him get a little bit more comfortable with one another and we see him getting more opportunities to make those contested plays that we saw him hook up with so often with Matthew Stafford back when the two were in Detroit one last question for you here Dan Uh, as you mentioned the uh, Giants are playing the Cowboys in week five very very strong offense on Dallas's side what are your early expectations for that game like I said, I mean, I think they have to come in with this mindset. You know, you don't want to say, oh, it's going to be a shootout because that implies your defense is going to give up 30 points. But I think offensively, they need to come in with an aggressive mindset because if there's been one critique of Joe Judge uh, early this season, it's he's been uber conservative, you know, fourth and one, he's kicking field goals or, you know, fourth and short, you know, around midfield. He's always punting. So I don't think that's going to work. Uh, you know, when you see how Dallas's offense is really clicking, I think they need to be a little more aggressive. So, um, you know, if they go into this game thinking hey, we're going to take the air out of the ball and try and win 13 to 10, I think it could, could get away from them because I think Dallas is going to score. So you need a score to keep pace. So uh, I think it could be a fun game. If, you know, if they do sort of alter their approach and, and become a little more of a downfield passing attack, I think we could have a little bit of a shootout. And obviously those are always fun to watch. Um, but yeah, I think that's probably their, their best chance to win because the way their defense is playing, I just don't think you can count on them 
uh, to go out and shut down Dallas with you know how they're just firing all cylinders right now. Yeah, and to that point, uh, this game opened up with our uh, betting partners at BetMGM with a 49.5 over under. That was Sunday night that that first came out. Already by time Monday night had rolled around just 24 hours later, it got up to 51.5. So definitely uh, expecting some points to be scored when the Giants and the Cowboys get together this weekend. That's Dan Duggan, our Giants beat reporter here at The Athletic. Dan, thanks again for being with us on the Fantasy Football Pod. Yeah, my pleasure. Good talking with you. One more beat writer joining us here on this edition of the Athletic Fantasy Football Podcast, and it is Joe Person, and Joe covers the Carolina Panthers for us at the Athletic. Joe, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. As I was telling you, the last time I was on with you, you were getting ready to go to Wrigley Field that night, and uh, yeah. I was very jealous. <laughs> well, uh, to, as you and I are sitting here talking, we're about what, like eight hours away from the uh, start of the MLB postseason. So uh, no joy in Wrigleyville uh, for at least the next, what, five, six months or so before uh, before the 2022 season starts. But this is a fantasy football podcast, not a baseball podcast. And let's jump in with the Carolina Panthers, who have been a very fun fantasy team this season. And it all starts up top with the new quarterback, Sam Darnold. Uh, there was some speculation. I mean, we had reason to believe that you get him out of New York, you get him away from Adam Gates and maybe he could find something of that you know, high-end first-round pedigree that he had coming out of USC. It seems like he is finding that with the Panthers. How is this going down? A couple different ways. I mean, as you know, he's doing it with his arm and with his feet, which is something. I mean, we saw glimpses of that in New York for sure, but not with the effectiveness that Joe Brady is using Sam Darnold in the red zone. I mean, it, it it's smart. Like, you know, Teddy Bridgewater famously criticized the Panthers for not doing enough uh, red zone and two-minute preparation last year in Matt Rule's first season. And uh, it, it's very clear that they felt like in Sam Darnold, they had a guy who could help them uh, in terms of uh, running the ball down there close to the goal line. And there have been a couple zone reads. There's been uh, at least one quarterback draw. So it's not like they're just sneaking it across like uh, Mike Shula used to do with Cam Newton. Um, and then you've seen how he's been effective in the passing game, too. I mean, that. It's all gone about as well as the Panthers could have hoped uh, for when they traded for Sam Darnold back in April for those uh, three uh, uh, draft picks they sent to the Jets. Yeah, I don't think many of us had this as our top five. I think you could have plenty of people saying this would be the top four quarterbacks after the first four weeks of the NFL season from a fantasy perspective. Patrick Mahomes, one. Kyler Murray, two. Jalen Hurts, three. Tom Brady, four. No one was going to fight you about that if you told them that was the case. But then checking in as QB5 in fantasy leagues through four weeks is Sam Darnold. A lot of it thanks to those five rushing touchdowns, but he certainly is getting it done with the arm as well. And we'll talk about some of the guys who are on the opposite end of those Sam Darnold arm heroics a little bit. But first, I want to talk about the new look backfield with Christian McCaffrey out. Chuba Hubbard got 13 carries and two targets in week four. Royce Freeman, two carries, zero targets. Is that a fair expectation of the workload? I guess meaning that is Hubbard the guy who's going to really control the backfield until CMC is back? 
Mostly, but the the other guy we should mention that it further complicates things for fantasy owners is uh, Rodney Smith, who they brought up from the practice squad last week. He didn't do anything in the run game, but he got five catches, I think on five targets, uh, for 48 yards. So nothing like extraordinary, but those are yards and touches, obviously, that did not go to Chuba Hubbard. Um, so it's kind of a, a tricky play, I think, uh, for, for fantasy owners that have Chuba Hubbard. I think there's some concern in, in Matt Rule's staff about how effective and how reliable, rather, Hubbard is as a pass catcher. Uh, we'd seen him have a couple drops in the preseason and then again at Houston when McCaffrey got hurt. So it looks like, uh, at least last week at Dallas, that Rodney Smith is going to be a guy that they turn to uh, when they want to throw the ball uh, out of the backfield. And then anything that we can uh, expect from McCaffrey, I mean, in terms of uh, a clearer picture on when he just might be back for this team? I'd be very surprised if it's this week. They are talking, as we we record this on Tuesday, they are um, hoping he's going to test that hamstring on Wednesday. And, uh, you know, obviously that will tell a lot. But just based on what we saw and how they handled him last year, Matt Rule and his staff are going to err on the side of caution. I thought all along it would be that he would miss two, as, as many as even three games. I haven't heard anything that made me feel differently. But they will test him on Wednesday. I think it'd be a pretty big surprise if he plays this week against the Eagles. Yeah, something that we will definitely be watching for all week long here. Uh, something else we've been watching for all season long is a little bit more involvement for Robbie Anderson. And he got that in week four. He got 11 targets. The production on those 11 targets, not exactly what you would want to see, but the 11 targets were definitely a welcome sight for Robbie Anderson managers. Is there a concerted effort to get him going alongside DJ Moore, who has just been a star thus far this season? Very much so. Yeah, Matt Rule said last week there was going to be a very conscious effort to get uh, Robbie Anderson more involved. We saw that. Like you said, several of those targets that they missed on were on deep throws, uh, which, of course, has is, is long been Anderson's forte. Um, it, it, you know, it, Whether it was the pass rush, I didn't think Sam Darnold was particularly sharp on on a couple of those throws where where Robbie Anderson, you know, he wasn't like he was wide open, but there were a couple he had a step on his guy. Um, I think we'll continue to see that. I mean, DJ Moore has been a boon for fantasy owners. I know this, but um, and I I don't think you know I, I I don't think he's going to just become a bad receiver. And that's part of the other thing here is like. Darnold, despite having been with Anderson with the Jets, I think he has quickly developed a chemistry and a rapport with with DJ Moore. So having said all that, you know, they just paid Robbie Anderson. They know he has elite speed, you know, just a tick or two faster than DJ Moore even uh, in terms of straightaway speed. So, yeah, I think they're going to continue to try to see if they can't get him uh, in better sync with Sam Darnold. Yeah, no wish issues there whatsoever for Darnold and DJ Moore. Uh, just big production week in and week out for Moore so far this season. And he had his first multi-touchdown game of the year in week four and that loss to the Cowboys. Uh, the big thing that we've seen from him also, plenty of work, 43 targets, 
in the Panthers' first four games of the season. Is a double-digit target per game pace realistic for him? Is that something he can keep up? Maybe it slows down a little bit, but can he be a a 10-target-per-game sort of guy the rest of the season? Is there enough volume in this passing game for him to sustain that number? Without Christian McCaffrey, yes. But I think those targets uh, scale back probably to maybe seven or eight with McCaffrey uh, back in the lineup, which is still... A pretty hearty mm-hmm. number. Um, I, I, I just with what we said about Robbie Anderson uh, and trying to get him more involved. One thing working to fantasy owners' favor, the managers who have uh, who have Anderson and DJ Moore. There's no clear tight end receiving threat now after they traded Dan Arnold. I'm sure you you touched on that last week. A uh, pretty significant development. I mean, the, the Panthers wanted to go get that uh, C.J. Henderson, the corner from the Jags, but in doing so, they gave up a guy who had looked like at camp and even through the first three weeks of the season that he was going to be a pretty productive receiving tight end for the Panthers. Last week, um, I think the tight ends had a total of four targets, three catches, all by Ian Thomas, uh, only covering like 15 yards. It was... Uh, you know, I, I I just there may be some blips in there where Ian Thomas has a a, a game or two, but I think uh, I think guys like DJ Moore, McCaffrey, I mentioned uh, I mentioned the um, the Rodney Smith kid. I, I don't think there's going to be a big rush to go buy Rodney Smith, but they these targets are going to have to be a little sp- spread out now more without those tight ends being as big a factor. All right, Joe, and last question here for you. You mentioned it a little earlier, the Panthers uh, sticking in the NFC East after playing the Cowboys last week. They get the Eagles this week. What are your early expectations for that matchup from Carolina's point of view? Kind of like the the Panthers in a, a bounce-back game this week. I mean, they, they, they it was the first taste of adversity last week in Dallas. Uh, frankly, I thought the, I had picked the Panthers to lose that game in a relatively close game, which is what it ended up being. I mean, it was they, they, at one point they were down by about 22 and they made it a one score game at the end. Um, I, their schedule. I mean, you look at it. I, I wrote this for the athletic this week. I think they're going to be favored in their next five games going all the way up until an early November trip to Arizona. Um, against the undefeated Cardinals. But, you know, they've got the Eagles, they've got the Vikings, they've got the Giants, they've got the Falcons, and they've got the Patriots. Um, all of which, I think all of those teams I just mentioned are one and three. Um, so this is a good time to be a Panther fan, a good time to be Sam Darnold. I think this team's going to roll for a little bit and until the schedule gets a lot saltier in the second half of the season. Could be a very fun fantasy game as well with uh, what these two teams are bringing to the table in Carolina and Philadelphia. So definitely one that we are going to have our eyes trained on this weekend. That's Joe Person, Carolina Panthers beat writer here at The Athletic. Joe, thanks again for being with us on the Fantasy Football Pod. You got it. And just so you know, I'm a Phillies fan, so I am with you (laughs) in no joy in South Philly as we uh, turn to the baseball playoffs. Hey, it's been more than a decade for you, so uh, I will uh, I will not uh, try to uh, match wits with that one there. <laughs> Good to be on with you, man. 
All right, let's bring home this episode of the Athletic Fantasy Football Podcast. To do that, I am now joined by Brandon Funston, and we are going to talk through, put a little capper on your waiver discussion and waiver thoughts heading into week five. Funston, how's it going? Uh, it's going good, man. I'm probably not in as as good a frame of mind as you coming off a, a week in Hawaii to to refresh. You know, you get like the early bye week for uh, the NFL season. Very nice. Yeah, right. I, well, someone had to fill the void, right? Because the NFL doesn't have any bye weeks until week six this year. That's right. Uh, it's a, That's a, right. A new, a new bye schedule. So someone had to say, you know what? I'll take the week four bye this season. So I'm happy to have been the person to have stepped up and done that. And, uh, you know, that means that we uh, are now looking into a waiver situation where uh, we still have a full week of games ahead of us. So these are all guys who, in theory at least, you could pick up and start this week since, uh, again, 16 games on the schedule for week five by far. I think I'm right when I say this, but I'm going to say it this way anyway, no matter what. By far the most intriguing guy on the waiver wire this week, Funston, has to be Damian Williams. Uh, Word coming out on Tuesday that – uh, while David Montgomery's knee injury is not uh, as serious as once initially feared, he is still expected to miss about four to five weeks. So Damian Williams likely taking over as the uh, primary running back for the Bears. Kevin Fishbane was on this show earlier, and he said to expect that, maybe to expect uh, Khalil Herbert to have a larger role than Williams had alongside David Montgomery, but that Williams certainly going to be the guy carrying the load for the Bears. How interesting is that to you right now? Very, because I think it's probably, you know, given the knee injury, given that week 10 bye for Chicago is probably at least five weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, that gets Montgomery to the bye, gets him the extra time, gets him fresh for the uh, stretch run. And you, lo- you love to not have the ambiguity when you're going out and, and throwing your fab cash around on a guy. And so you feel good about, okay, I'm bidding on five weeks of Damian Williams. What's that worth to me? Um, and, you know, I like Damian Williams. liked him an awful lot in 2019 when he was one of their best offensive players down the stretch on the run to the to the Super Bowl and had over 100 yards in the Super Bowl. The guy's very versatile. Uh, he can do a lot of the things that David Montgomery can do, probably not to the level of David Montgomery, but I think it's, you know, it's a plug-and-play situation. So if you have Montgomery, I, I think you probably have to empty most of the account on Damian Williams just to secure that uh, place going forward. But I, you know, I love this week. You know, you saw Austin Eckler on Monday night going off against this Raiders defense. You know, the first up for Damian Williams will be this Raiders defense. So uh, a versatile guy to get you some some run in PPR leagues as well. Uh, we'll see. He's 29 years old, um, but he looked pretty good last week. Um, so, I, yeah, I like him an awful lot. Yeah, maybe uh, maybe the biggest prize on the waiver wire so far this season. You think that's right? I think that might be right. Yeah. I mean, right, because we're looking at Elijah Mitchell after week one and uh, Chuba Hubbard after uh, what was that? Just after week three. So I, I think that yeah, Williams is probably the guy who's been the best waiver ad so far this season. And you even take what Fishbane said earlier. Even if you know if, Khalil, if he's right about that, and Khalil Herbert has a larger role as the number two than Williams had as the number two to David Montgomery. He's still expecting somewhere in the neighborhood of a 12 to 15 carry sort of uh, floor for Damian Williams while mixing in in the passing game as well. So he might not be Montgomery, but he still has the workload of a pretty safe and easy RB2. And you wouldn't expect anyone to infringe upon that in any significant way. So but Damian Williams, five weeks of a guy who you feel is a pretty comfortable RB2. 
that feels like a, a guy who pretty much everyone is going to want to go after, and you got to like that certainly this week. Let's say you're not a Damian Williams guy. Um, yeah, man, I'm, so I've been stashing Damian Williams in a couple of leagues this year just because he felt like the most like, – no, and nowhere where I have Montgomery, but in leagues where I don't have Montgomery, which I don't think is any, I've been just burying Damian Williams because he feels like one of the guys who is the purest next man up in a way that largely absorbs what the first man up uh, was already doing. Uh, and so I still have him in a few. I dropped him in one before this week, which I'm really smarting about. So I'm going to be someone who is going to be going back out after him. And I'm thinking probably like, I don't know, like I, I, we'll say in a in a world where I have my full fab budget left, I would go 40%. In a world where 40% of what I have remaining is not going to be competitive to get him, I'm comfortable going above that for him. Where do you at on him in leagues where you don't have Montgomery? I already have a $61 bid in. Um and that's, I think I had 78 remaining. So that's where I'm at right so, now. But yeah, so very aggressive. Very aggressive. That's a David very Montgomery aggressive. team. That's a See, David Montgomery team for me. There you go. And that's 75% effectively of yep. your remaining budget right there. Well, you know, the there's the prudent there's the prudent bid. And then there's the reality of who you're bidding against. And, yep. you know, like I always know Chris Liss, who you know is in the fantasy industry. He always is he just empties his fab account on the first, like we, I'm in a league with him where he just emptied it all on Elijah Mitchell, you know? And then like, there's always a guy like that. That's just willing, like, and especially we've, we're a month in, if you're down on running backs, there's going to be some down on running back luck teams that are like, listen, I need to go in on this guy. He's the, my best early chance to get something and turn this thing around in four or, five, four or five weeks from now. I might just be playing out the string if I don't get something going. Some other running backs that we're looking at this week, Samaje P. Ryan, Alex Collins, either of those guys jump out at you as something more than a, you know, one week sort of play or a cross your fingers, something good happens. Either one of those guys get the juices flowing in a way that you would get a little bit aggressive on them. I would get a little bit aggressive on P. Ryan. I feel like he's got at least one start in him. You know, you've heard differing reports on Mixon. And the ankle is it uh, is it week to week? Is it day to day? Um, you know, there's been kind of some ambiguity as well as uh, it with Cincinnati last year in reporting on Mixon's injuries, and so uh, it's it would be nice to have the clarity that we had with David Montgomery uh, for mm-hmm. Mixon to know on that. Pirine was Pirine was okay in 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 relief of Mixon last year down the stretch, and I think he could be interesting. Alex Collins. I would at least say if you're one of like I just looked on Yahoo is like seven percent of people are holding on to Rashad Penny. Like if you're that guy or girl, like make that swap to Alex Collins. And I and I would actually be interested in Alex Collins a little bit more than that. Like he I think there's a decent chance that we're seeing a I don't know, sixty forty, sixty five, thirty five split now with Alex Collins and Chris Carson. Chris Carson wasn't hurt. He just you know, he just wasn't running well. Wasn't wasn't he was not as aggressive as he, as he normally is. And Alex Collins came in this last week and breathed life into this running game and this offense. So I don't think he's gonna go away completely. It's worth a spec bid, you know. Mm-hmm. Um and so, yeah, I, I would probably still go Pirine first and Collins second, though. Ten carries, forty-four yards, and a touchdown for Alex Collins in that loss to or in that win, excuse me, over the 49ers. Also caught both of his targets for thirty-four yards. So 
definitely could be carving out a role alongside Carson, not just being a pure backup to Carson any longer. And that makes him, I agree, you know, at least somewhat interesting. Obviously, we're talking both of these guys as miles and miles and miles behind Damian Williams. But if you're putting in some contingency bids or if Damian Williams is rostered in your league, whatever the case may be, those are guys who certainly could be on your radar and, in fact, should be on your radar this week. LaVisca Chenault, also someone who should be on your radar. Now, this is a much more shallow league play, but he's available, available excuse me, in about 40% of both Yahoo and CBS leagues. So, uh, you know, not necessarily a guy who we're, you know, just plucking from exactly the top of the heap here with, with DJ or DJ Chark out for the remainder of the season. LaVisca Chenault seems to be having the sort of role that we would have been very excited about him having had that been the case at the start of the season. Yeah, he was he was on benches for most, you know, for most teams last week and he was probably in a one more week of doing what you were doing and you you, you might be gone kind right. of a situation and he just showed up and yeah, and now you have DJ Chark out and suddenly you're feeling a lot better about LaVisca Chenault and you get Tennessee this week as a good matchup. So, yeah, if he was one of those guys that people were rash on and cut him loose, definitely think uh, you know, he is worth throwing a, a fair bit of fab cash at. The case for him is pretty self-evident, and as I said, he was already on a lot of rosters, right? 40% is a, is a meaningful enough availability for us to talk about him, especially when his circumstances change as significantly as they have, because now I think he will be someone who, going forward, even in those shallow leagues, is pretty much universally rostered, but the case remains self-evident for him. Is there a self-evident case, or at least a strong enough case, for A.J. Green that you want to be going after him in most of the leagues that you play in, Funston? A couple of games in a row now where he's looked... Pretty good and pretty important in this Arizona offense. Yeah, the reanimated corpse of AJ Green. <laughs> um, six targets a week. Uh, he's, I, I think, he's fourth in red zone targets. This is a team averaging thirty-five points per game. I don't, I don't think you're getting rich on AJ Green, but it's just a ripe environment where he still can probably tap a little bit of value out, like he has. I mean, this he had one one hundred yard game, um, but again, six targets a week probably feels about right that's what he's done so far and you know we're as you mentioned week six the bye week start i think you know there's there's a case to be made he's on your bench and you're plugging here and plugging there and you look at a a game where arizona could just go for 40 and why not throw him in there? there's a decent chance he might find the end zone i mean let's look at this funston we um you know DeAndre Hopkins is not going to produce literally every week. And in fact, week three, he didn't really do a whole lot. But we go into every week assuming DeAndre Hopkins does DeAndre Hopkins things. And I think that's a fair assumption. But then look at every week this season. Week one, that was the two-touchdown game for Christian Kirk. Week two, that was the big game for Rondale Moore. Week three, another 100-yard game for Christian Kirk. And hey, A.J. Green gets 112 yards. Week four, five for 67 and a touchdown for A.J. Green. It seems as though there is a second receiver who does something every week for Arizona. Pinning down who that guy is is going to be a sheer impossibility, I would say, but we know that at least one of, or we can, I think we can safely say that uh, we are comfortable betting on at least one of Green, Moore, or Kirk doing something alongside DeAndre Hopkins every week. And so it's just a good offense to be involved in. It's a good offense to be invested in, especially with the bye week starting right around the corner. Like, you are going to be, I think, happy to be able to turn to, frankly, any of these receivers in Arizona once you start getting hit by bye weeks, once we all start getting hit by bye weeks. And A.J. Green is the guy who is readily available right now in a lot of fantasy leagues. So I think that certainly uh, makes him someone who we'd be going after here. Well, I just was going to ask you, and I don't know if you have this off the top of your head, but 
you know, I'm guessing Rondell Moore and Christian Kirk are, are rostered in a much higher um, degree than AJ Green. I don't know if you can make a strong case that they deserve that. Yeah. I mean, they, they have to be. I can look that up really quickly, but just because their heroics happened earlier in the season, right? No one's going to pick them up right. for whatever they had to pick them up for and then drop them the next week when they don't do anything. Um, but uh, I, I would agree with you. I would say that you're basically, you're, they are the same player. From a fantasy perspective, from a pure, cold, calculated fantasy perspective, Kirk Moore, AJ Green are the exact same player. They are the guy who you're hoping does something as the wide receiver two in Arizona. And so if yeah, you think it, that I, Kirk I, is, I, so is, is, is rosterable, right? Or Rondale's rosterable. Well, he's sixty percent he Kirk and, and Moore are both over fifty percent rostered in Yahoo and Green mm-hmm. is twenty five percent. So this is your this is your inexpensive way into the same yep. you know, into the into the Arizona offense. And if we're being realistic, you're last way in as well, right? Because everyone else on <laughs> well, that team is already rostered. Max Williams, I guess you could you could throw out <laughs> if we're going. <laughs> oh man, I've got 1%. a Logan Thomas team that might have to take a look at Max Williams this week. Yeah, because there you uh, go. Logan Thomas being week to week could uh, could certainly uh, muck up the works for that squad. Are there any other receivers that you're going after this weekend or this week? Excuse me. Uh, I think there's there's three like slot receivers that are that are worthwhile like not not high ceiling but solid floors and I would I would rank them Jamison Crowder who returned last week I think he had nine targets it looked like Zach Wilson was in midseason form with him like he hadn't missed any games I mean he was looking for him to move the chains kind of doing the Jamison Crowder thing that he does yeah. um, Hunter Renfro would be second on that list and Randall Cobb would be third I think they're all sort of close together. Um, but I would probably go with Jameson Crowder, who look at the last few years, he's just been pretty productive when he's healthy and he, he, you know fairly reliable in that PPR sense. Uh, and I just think that Renfro and Cobb are maybe a notch below that. But if you just you know you need a little bit of help, some you know safety options that might get you ten PPR points any given week and feel good about that being you know on the table any given week, I, w- I would I would you know reach out for Jameson Crowder. Yeah, I think that those guys all fit that bill, and you have to have that in mind. Like, if you are going after them, that's what you like. You have to assume that I'm happy with ten PPR points. If I'm happy yeah. with ten PPR points in my starting lineup, then these guys can be that sort of player. But even, I mean, you know, Hunter Renfro has been significantly involved uh, every single week so far this season for the Raiders. A minimum of six targets, uh, so in every game, six, uh, nine in week one, seven in week two, six in week three, eight in week four. Uh, but still, the yardage high is 77 yards, and that was in week three. The full PPR low for him is 10.7 points. He did that in week two when he caught five passes for 57 yards. So that is the type of player. That is the brand of player we're talking about here. I'm with you. Crowder's the first. Renfro's probably second. Cobb, great to see him get that two-touchdown game. Uh, Aaron Rodgers did say he did want to get him a little bit more involved with MVS out, and you know that ended up being the case, but... You know, it does feel like MVS has to be out for that to be on the table for Randall Cobb. So I would say that he is really the last of that group. And then we're looking at a bunch of other guys who I think are, you know, short term and maybe week four was a little bit more descriptive than predictive about what their future holds. Uh, The guy who jumps out most when I say that is Kadarius Toney. Did have the nice bottom line production, six catches for 78 yards, but no Sterling Shepard in that game, a game where the, the Giants were chasing late and ended up uh, catching and passing the Saints and winning that game and come from behind fashion. But hard to bet on that, sticking around for him every week. Josh Reynolds, maybe if you have one-week desperation, you could go after him with 
uh, A.J. Brown and Julio Jones both potentially out again in Week 5 against Jacksonville. But I don't think anyone else really moves the needle all that much among the receivers who are widely available. Is there anyone that you would want to make a case for in that way? No. Uh, I think we've touched on all the guys that I would be interested in and might be willing to throw at least a buck at fab-wise, um, you know, in a standard 12-team kind of sense. Yeah, it's uh, it's Damian Williams and then a whole lot of filler, I think, for the rest of this week. So Damian Williams, the guy to go after and go after in a big way as you are placing those fab bids on the rest of the day Tuesday and for some of us into Wednesday as well. That's going to do it for this episode of the Athletic Fantasy Football Podcast. You can still get yourself 50% off an athletic subscription right now. Just go to theathletic.com slash fantasyfootballpod and you'll get that first year 50% off. For the beat writers who joined us today, Kevin Fishbane, Dan Duggan, and Joe Person, and also for Brandon Funston, I am Michael Beller. This show returns on Wednesday. Nando DeFino, Chris Vaccaro, and Brandon Marianne Lee taking over the feed to look back at week four and ahead to week five. Thanks so much for listening. Good luck on your fab bids. We'll talk to you soon.